0: May be seated there in your home, and if you have a Bible there with you, and I hope that you do, I want to invite you this morning to turn to Romans chapter twelve, verses nine through twenty-one. Romans chapter twelve, verses nine through twenty-one is where we'll anchor and be this morning, and I would invite you to bow your heads and pray with me, Father. As we come to your holy word this morning, we pray that you would illumine our eyes, that you would help us to see the truths that you have for us to see here. Holy Spirit, we need your help. And so, quicken our hearts, renew our minds, that we would be conformed to The likeness of the Son of God, and not to the likeness of this world. Help us to genuinely love all people through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. This letter by Paul. To the Romans, it stands, in my estimation, as the clearest and most systematic presentation of Christian doctrine in all of Scripture. Paul begins by discussing that which is really most easily observable in the world, the sinfulness of all humanity, and we see that today, don't we? All people have been condemned due to the rebellion against God. However, God in His grace... Has offered justification by faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. And when we are justified by God, we receive redemption, we receive salvation because Christ's blood covers our sins. But Paul this morning makes it very clear that the believer's pursuit of God doesn't stop with salvation. Let me say that again. Paul makes it very clear this morning that the believer's pursuit of God doesn't stop with salvation. It continues as each of us are sanctified, made holy, as we persist in following Christ. And that is essentially where we are here in chapter 12, Paul has outlined that all humanity is lost for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 and Romans 3.10. There's no one righteous, there's no not one. The wages of sin is death. But God in His grace has sent His Son, Jesus, to justify sinners. And then we come to chapter 12, which is what I call the what now chapter. What do we do now? right? We're all saved. Is that it? Well, Paul begins to outline what it looks like to be Christ. How does a Christian live out their life for the glory and supremacy of Christ? How are we to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a broken world? So here's what I want to do in this message this morning. I want first to be crystal clear about Some keys in doing this. In other words, what will unlock my passion to live for Christ the way that Paul outlines here in Romans 12, verses 9 through 21? What's going to help me do that? What, What an injustice it would be if I was to stand here this morning in front of you and on Facebook Live and just say, Love genuinely. And good luck, <laughs> right? Just, you can do it. You're going to do great tomorrow morning. There's something that must help us to do what we're about to read here, what we're about to study. What will, what will this one thing that Paul gives us by which we are to live for Christ, what will help us? Well, first, what is it? What is it that we are to do? Well, look at verse 9. This is really, if you want to know the big idea of this message, it's right there in verse 9. Highlight it, underline it, circle it. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. So there it is. What will unlock my passion to love people genuinely? The way Jesus loves people. Right? God knows in our culture right now there, there needs to be more love, more compassion, more empathy, more tender hearts, more deep affection for our fellow human beings. We read this all throughout Scripture the greatest virtue of the Christian life is love. Throughout the New Testament, it's proclaimed as the supreme virtue. It is the virtue under which all others are subsumed. God Himself is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him, First John four sixteen. Jesus makes it crystal clear in the greatest two commandments that are given to us as His believers, as His disciples. We hear them every Sunday morning. Hope you never get tired of hearing them. You shall love the Lord God with all of your heart, mind, soul. And you shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. John 13:35. All men will know that we are Disciples of Christ by our love. So, how do we unlock this kind of genuine love in this parish that we see here in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and following, in our parish, in our neighborhoods, in our community, and in our lives? Well, to unlock it, to apply it, you have to Apply Romans twelve, one, two, and three. But first back to verse nine, right? Genuine there, so go back to verse nine. Let your love be genuine. Genuine there in verse nine is literally translated unhypocritical. Unhypocritical. What what drives hypocrisy? Why would anyone want to live hypocritically? Well, hypocrisy is trying to be on the outside, what you're not on the inside. It's just painted smiles. It's an I love you, but you really don't mean it. What drives Paul's command to not let love be a show? Well, what drives hypocrisy is pride. I want people to think that I'm great, and I'm not but I want people to think that I am. And here's the link in verses 1, 2, and 3. All of this chapter flows out of those verses because pride is a second-hand religion. It gets its energy from other people, not the Holy Spirit, not Christ. Verse 1 commends the opposite of pride. It commends you to give yourself Unto God as a living sacrifice. One of the keys to spiritual victory, true happiness, is not trying to get all that we can from God, but in giving all that we are and have to Him. The key to genuine love is not prideful, hypocritical love. It is giving ourselves to God. It is surrendering. It is saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, have your, what? Have your way. Take me. I'm yours. Use me. Be. Be in me. Use me as an instrument. It's giving ourselves to God. Verse 2 commends the same. Renew your mind. Do not conform to the world. How are our minds to be renewed? Well, we need the Holy Spirit, don't we? Only the Holy Spirit can renew our minds, can set us on a path to genuine love, not hypocritical love. And then verse 3 is really the key to unlock genuine love because it deals with humility. Humility. Paul says, what? Not to think of yourself more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. All to say this if you lay yourself on the mercies of God and ask Him to work out in your life, Romans 12, 1, 2, and 3, then when you come to verse 9, brothers and sisters, you will be ready. You'll be ready. You'll be ready to let your love be genuine. So, let's unpack now verses 9 and following. So, Paul gives us three exhortations to let our love be genuine. Here's the first. Genuine love hates evil and holds fast to what is good. You can see that, can't you, there in the rest of verse 9? Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. There, There is such a thing as objective good and evil outside ourselves this is where i love to talk to young people because right a lot of young people just think that truth objective truth is just whatever you want to make it to be it's just subjective what truth is for trip or me is just what truth is for me and him but what it is for you could be something far different false <laughs> that's false There is such things as objective good and evil outside of ourselves. They are evil objectively. Good is not what you want to be good, and evil is not what you want to be evil. Liking something doesn't just make it good, and hating something just doesn't make it evil. There is reality. And the question is, how do we know then what is good and what is evil? Well, This is a wide-sweeping answer. I would love to spend another 45 minutes going into depth, but we can't. And so, this is a wide-sweeping answer, but we, we must be people, lovers of Jesus, His disciples, that know the Word of God. God makes it clear what is evil and good in the book, in the Bible. It's a wonderful thing that if you believe and you teach the straightforward truths of the Bible, you will spare yourself, your children, your grandchildren, a hundred follies of each new generation. If you want to be useful, for your generation, you don't need to be an expert on the latest philosophical fads or latest progressive morality or the latest psychological trends. Christians need to know the words of God, period. It is Psalm 1, blessed is the man who what? Who delights in the laws of God. For on those laws he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of living water. His his leaf does not wither. For whatever he does, what? He prospers. It's knowing the Word of God. Abhor what is evil, Paul says. Run away, flee from it. And while fleeing from all forms of sin and temptation, be holding on to what is good, what is honorable. Hold fast, Paul says, which means to cling to, be, be cemented in to, to what is good, be one with it, be in horror of sin, make good a part of us. And what remains in this first section are ways to do this. You see them there. He lists them out. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve Christ. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Secondly, here's the second exhortation. Genuine love does not repay evil with evil, verses 14 through 18. The clear and uniform message here is that we should love our enemies and that this love involves treating them better than they deserve, not returning evil for evil, but blessing them from our heart and helping them when when they need us. And there are two main reasons why Christians should act this way. One is that it reveals something of the way that God is. You reveal God to people when you do this. Because God is what? God is merciful. Matthew five forty five, He makes his He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And the second reason is that the hearts of Christians are satisfied with God and are not driven by the craving for revenge or self-exaltation or money or earthly security. God has become our all-satisfying treasure. And so, we don't treat our adversaries out of our own sense of need or insecurities, but out of our own fullness with the satisfying glory of God. This is really what The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10.34, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. (laughs) Don't you love that? You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. And we're all like, yeah, how does that work? (laughs) How do you do that? That is, right, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. That is without retaliation. How do they do that? How did they do that? since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. In other words, what takes away the compulsion of revenge is our deep confidence that this world is not our home and that God is our utterly sure and all-satisfying reward. Lastly and thirdly, our last exhortation: genuine love lives by faith in God's sovereign justice. Verses 19 call to us is to love our enemies, to overcome evil with good, and it's based on what Christ has done for us. It's what Christ has done for us. Christ loved his enemies. And in that way, he overcame evil with good. You need to know that not one of us here this morning, whether watching or sitting, would be a Christian if Christ had not loved his enemies and overcome our evil. Our insubortion, our willfulness and self-centeredness, ours, with his great good, his death, his resurrection. And so what does Paul mean when he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good? Well, in the context, coming right after saying, be good to your enemy, I think he means, don't let your enemy's hostility produce hostility in you. Right? We see this with children all the time, don't we? right? Something's taken from a child, and so they're going to bop them in the head or smack them back or to get the toy back. And it's M-I-N-E, mine, right? Children do this. Hostility for hostility. You take what's mine, I'm going to smack it and take it back. And Paul says, don't let that happen in your life, but let your love triumph over his hostility. Don't, don't be overcome by evil means. Don't be overcome by his evil. Don't let another person's evil make you evil. That's the idea. Don't let another person's evil provoke you to evil thoughts or evil attitudes or evil deeds. Don't give them that kind of power. You don't have to. Christ is your king Christ is your leader. He's your champion, your treasure. Christ governs your life. Not those who do evil. So genuine love hates evil. It holds to fast what is good. Genuine love does not repay evil with evil. Genuine love lives by faith and God's sovereign justice. And we love this way supernaturally as we throw ourselves on the the mercies of our Lord who first loved us. You can't look around, can you, and help but lament and grieve and think to yourself that this world needs change. Change begins with us. It begins with a surrendered life, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It begins when the love of Christ pulsates through your veins by the power of the Holy Spirit. A changed life for Christ changes lives. You can only love this way because you have been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And when we do this, true change happens. Eternal change happens. Christ-honoring change happens. This is what living in the gospel looks like. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. May we meditate on it day and night. And may You use it to change us by the power of the Holy Spirit for Your glory and Your honor. Amen. Amen.